0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 135 of uh, the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I'm coming to you from my in-law's house, and I'm not really sure what my bandwidth scenario is, so we'll see how this goes. I've got uh, uh, Todd Smith from Cloud Software Group and Jeremy Myers from Cloud Software Group. Both uh, Citrix and NetScaler are subject matter experts. Would you guys consider yourself uh, subject matter experts on anything else in the Cloud Software Group stack?
1: Uh, you know what? I think I would. I'm always afraid to say yes, but we'll just say Citrix and NetScaler, and occasionally Podio. There you go. Yeah,
0: and How every once this? in a while, I'll throw some Zen Server skills in there. Yeah, I guess if um, let's see, two things. If you look at the the amount of people out there that have Zen Server expertise and experience, you're you're probably in the upper one percent.
1: That's a good call. That's a very good call.
0: Uh, and then regarding share file, you're probably in the upper ten percent. So I'd, I'd I'd say yes to both of those. Yeah,
1: that's fair. That's fair. Although I would give my I give my share for share file knowledge a pretty good nod. Yeah. But yep. c- considering it's a new BU now, and I've been out of the loop here for probably six or eight months, I'm not quite sure what the latest greatest is, and that's probably being pretty transparent there. Yeah. yeah, in fact, he threw down the Podio card there, Jaren.
2: It was pretty pretty strong.
1: It is. I, you know, I would take it a step further. I actually use the flows a lot right now. So, you know, we've got some workflows um, that I've been using Globie flow for that are pretty good. So just trying to figure out how to navigate requests that come in. You know, I've built some web forms that will kind of, you know, notify some folks, gather some info, and try to get that over to the right team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we are going to talk about cloud today, but I'm going to make the argument that enabling and making
0: workflows more efficient is the most important thing that IT does in a business today.
1: Yep, I would not disagree with you. And seeing that firsthand um, and really just, I mean, where it all starts is gathering requirements from the business, right? So I think a lot of times being someone who's built things, technology over the years, I like to start with the technology and then go figure out where to put it. On the flip side, this has really turned into, you know, what needs am I seeing from the business and how do I turn that into a workflow and what technology can I leverage to get that done? So you're absolutely right, Andy. We had a call with the uh,
0: Nutanix infrastructure guy Friday and he was pretty standoffish. And we started talking about workflows and automations and it was no, no, no. And then we started talking about, okay, what's your biggest challenges? What takes up most of your time? And started talking about, you know, workflows associated with those that we're doing for our own Nutanix environment. it came around pretty quick.
2: Well, it's becoming much more critical in terms of the auditing and the the actual uh, documentation piece of of workflow. And if you can build a good workflow, you don't have to do as much documentation because it's already built into that workflow itself, Um, especially for things like approvals, uh, signatures, uh, a variety of different, you know, you look at most workflows nowadays. There's multiple branches that go off of a workflow, um, you know, and it's just gonna. It's it's not only is it gonna optimize it, but it's also gonna create it as uh, in, in such a way that the compliance programs are are easily uh, implemented that way.
0: Yeah. So Todd, I got something else I want to talk about, but you hit on something there that I, I love, and that we have a product called Apti, which we use across the Zintegra um, business units. And what it does is you get to something in a workflow, and you don't know what it does. You kind of hover over it, and it starts to explain in more detail what that is, real time, which uh, is extremely powerful. Mm -hmm.
2: It's a great, uh, it's a great product. Uh, Know some people
0: that were were over there. Yeah, gotta say some of the Citrix folks left to go there. That's how we got into it. Hey, but how about this? Um, I may have said this in a podcast with you guys, or maybe it wasn't with you guys, I've said it several times, but we've spent our careers justifying ourselves on the IT infrastructure side of things as being an enabler for the business, not a cost center. And to some degree, we failed at that. Uh, but when you start talking about workflows like we just were talking about, um, it becomes a no-brainer for the business. In fact, you, don't even, you probably don't get questioned about it. It becomes a natural conversation about how that's enabling the business. What do you guys think about that statement?
2: I, I, think, it's, I think it's one area that that we have been able to see IT becoming much more of an enabler when it comes to business process. Um, you know, we've got tools, we've got we've got history, you know, in the IT community, we, we've got a history of being able to do workflows. Um, everything from, you know, upgrading a server to rolling out a new application to doing onboarding a new user, those are all workflows that existed. The, the big shift, has now become automating those workflows. Mm-hmm. Instead of having a checklist or a sheet of paper that you're working through, that that's becoming your documentation. the The, the workflow itself has become much more uh, electronically driven or, or uh, technology driven, as opposed to you know the old days of you know keeping binders worth of reference material filed away. And that's you know that's the impact of the of the way the technology has progressed, but also the way you know the employees and the and the people who are actually doing the work have mm-hmm. progressed as well. Um, you know, you brought up Apti before. You know, Apti, you know all of those things that are making it easier to to consume a workflow or deliver a workflow. Um, that used to be manuals that people used to have to read through. Um, you think about it: is you know, you pull out a. Unbox your computer. The first thing you see is a read me. First, Dude, those things don't even exist anymore. You're getting a laptop in a box that basically has three colored codes or three colored cables. You plug them in, connect to your Wi-Fi network, and the machine knows how to how to do that. Right? It's it's becoming much more simplified because people don't need to go and, and do a lot of that reading. You know, the, the workflow of creating a, or starting up a new computer is has become simplified as well. The applications themselves are becoming much more um, Mm self-documented.
1: And so, you know, I totally agree with Todd and you kind of wonder what's enabled this. Um, You know, we covered this on a podcast, I don't know, a few weeks ago. We talked about APIs and REST APIs and when you think about it, like the products that were built 10, 15 years ago, I mean, they just didn't have this natively built in. The reason they were manual is because the software was very manual, right? Like I had to go take a request from like a ServiceNow type solution and go, all right, I see a ticket come in. Great, now I got to go do this other manual thing because it was a separate system that didn't interact because systems back then just didn't interact the way they do. They did, but middleware companies made a crap ton over the years, you know, kind of figuring out how to do this. I remember there's a tool I used called Auto IT that would manually do a workflow, but you know what it did? It simulated someone clicking a button. It literally had to look on the screen and figure out where to press a button and it would send a virtual click. I mean, that was... That was my automation 20 years ago. Now, I mean, we talked about how Citrix Cloud, the DAS tenant, you know, they have an open REST API, so you can automate some things. You know, we have an adapter built into that cloud tenant that you can automate. We're moving these things on-prem as well. The idea being so that you can automate it so that when you go into a service now, and you know, right now it's still, you know, I've got to go open a ticket, that's slowly becoming more automated, right? Um, Into like things like chatbots, but ultimately... I can go to ServiceNow, request something, and on the back end, there's not a human doing anything. It's all automated. And Andy and I have talked about how to make that even more automated, right? So there's no reason why, you know, it takes anyone to go reset a session anymore. Why can't we automate that process? So, you know, if we go into the technology, um, and we've all been consumers of these workloads for a long time, like Todd said, they've been very manual, but now we've automated them. And I think that's where that's going to continue to evolve. And so it makes it easier for us to think through workflows and kind of what that looks like is, you know, at the end of the day, we're gonna start looking at software going, well, how can I fit that into my automation strategy? As much as we're talking about, how can I get a desktop in front of someone?
0: I agree with you guys at the same time, you guys just made it uh, IT-centric conversations. I think the biggest game changer and all that is that same methodology and thought process because it's becoming easier with platforms that tie in APIs uh, for things like ServiceNow and everything else with API. It's now outside of IT. And it's yep. every business unit is starting to think, okay, how do I improve efficiencies with this and use technology to do it? Yeah.
2: Well, it, and it's really kind of driving this economic discussion as well, right? It's if I can automate the administrative costs, I've already found ways to reduce the costs within the data center by leveraging cloud resources or outsourcing data centers or you know support functionality or a variety of different things. It's yet another thing. It goes into this giant economic formula to determine what is the best. You know, how much money are we actually saving, or how much of the benefit do we have? Um, I, I think there's a huge aspect of it as well. You know, when we're when we're looking at the total cost of ownership, one thing that we never factored into that was the ongoing operational reduction in administrative costs that was actually quantifiable, right? So we know that we can speed up the user onboarding. We know that we can reduce the number of help desk tickets through self-service. We know that we can go and reduce the number of um, applications that we need to manage. But there's also the aspect of who's using the applications? How do we charge it back? How do we charge for the resource locations that we're actually utilizing? you know, Going back to Jeremy's uh, example of being able to spin up a new resource location or, or a new resource for a user to connect to, whether it be a virtual desktop or some type of other uh, device that's out there or some type of other service that's out there. What if we could get real-time information about, hey, you know what, for this month, it's going to be cheaper to run this on Azure or use it as a third-party data center or use the resource someplace else? that's where we're gonna start seeing a lot of this economic impact come to fruition.
0: So Todd, that's a good segue into our topic. Our blog for today is uh, from the cloud software group content team, whoever that is. Um, but the blog title is uh, how to uh, How cloud economics can help you optimize DAS, desktop as a service cost. And I had pulled up on another screen the IGL. Total cost um, optimizer, total cost calculator, TCO. Um, And what I'm highlighting in that comment is I'm 20 years into this business and I still have only found two customers in all that time that walked into a meeting saying they knew what their total cost of ownership of a PC to buy it, manage it, maintain it, deprovision it was. One was my very first meeting and the other one was a a joke because he said it was was $500 uh, total over three years, so a couple hundred dollars each year. Um, you know, it, this this changes the game when we start talking about moving it into somebody else's environment, whether it's, you know, Zintegra data center, whether it's uh, the, your own data center managed by somebody else in a different rack or true public cloud. Uh, but all of a sudden, you're gonna get a bill and you can divide that bill by the number of um, desktops. And all of a sudden, you know exactly what it's cost. So, in this uh, blog, Jim, I'll let you jump in first. Uh, what the the couple of intro paragraphs? What are they trying to point out?
1: Um, so, they're, first of all, they're, they're mentioning the fact that folks appear to be spending less hardware each year in data centers, right? So, of course, if they're not spending it in a data center, you know, where are they spending it? You know, are they sending it in the cloud? Probably, but I think there's a lot of nuance to that. Um, yeah, so we will talk about as a Citrix company, CSG. Um, you know, there's a lot of benefit to going to the DAS service um, and how you can leverage that to help manage some costs. Um, but a lot of the reasoning folks are considering clouds, you know, Andy and I, Todd knows this, you know, we joke about this all the time. Um, you know, they're they're considering clouds because they're trying to optimize IT spend. Now, in reality, um, that's not always the case. That's not always what happens. To Andy's point, he's mentioned a customer and, you know, talking about, you know, price per endpoint. Um you know, you, you've you got to treat your usage in the cloud much different than you do on-prem because it will be more expensive. You know, optimizing IT spend in the cloud has got to be a full-time job for not just one person, but for a team of people. And there's a lot of software out there that does that, right? But, um, you know, cloud computing is certainly more flexible, but it also takes more oversight as well just to make sure you are ap- actually optimizing your spend. We've got a lot of customers who have moved to the cloud who have also moved back or at least... Landed yep. in some sort of hybrid approach, you know, for that exact reason.
0: So let's let's do something this call. Let's let's when we say cloud, let's try to specific call out which part of cloud we're talking about. Is it IaaS? Is it PaaS? Is it SaaS? Is it DAS? Or is it a little bit of all of the above? Like that conversation so far has been around DAS, DAS, including the control plane as well as where the desktops are running, which sits on top of IaaS, right?
1: Correct. I mean, so it is a little bit of what you just said. It is PaaS. It is IaaS. We have customers who are deciding to look at their application stack and replace that with something more cloud native because they don't want to spend IaaS on it. They'd much rather that be a PaaS service. You know, folks aren't spending money, you know, specifically standing up, you know, a CRM solution with virtual machines and IaaS anymore. What are they doing? They're using Salesforce. They're using some solution like that. So, I mean, it's a it's a very nuanced conversation for sure.
2: And and I think also also to add into Jeremy's part of the conversation, it's it's, say I select a platform as a service. So for instance, I want to go with uh, Salesforce. Well, Salesforce may be the platform, but there's a bunch of other SaaS solutions to get bolted into there, right? So I'm using Salesforce for one thing. I may be using something else that adds a value on top of that, and. Now all of a sudden you look at it and say, "Well, my Salesforce costs have gone up." Well, the cost of running my overall CRM, my overall customer uh, experience environment, uh, has gone up because I've started bolting on all these additional tools. It's very similar to when you buy a car; you start off with the base model and you start adding packages. In some cases, you're you're adding not individual components; you're adding in a suite of packages or, or a feature pack that's going to include, you know, the automatic. Uh, door openers, as well as the automatic windows, you know, a, a variety of different things. The only way you can get that is to either build a custom car or you build or you buy some some version of the car. Um, you've got to look at that total total overall impact. Um, and I think hey, I'll, historically, yep, go ahead.
0: Well, I want to highlight something you just did. You made me think about something, which is really a great way to tell this story. For me personally, I've got, a, I've got an old Jeep, and I've got a, a new Bronco, part of the Broncos that we did give away last year. Um, customer uh, came in, came in at the wrong time. But my point in all that is, Todd, you just said the word customize and what I'm finding on both. Oh,
1: I think, I think, I, I, think, I think Andy's mother-in-law's Wi-Fi, his family Wi-Fi, may have gone out. So, huh. so finish your thought there, Todd. I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: So. You know, when you look at the cost of customizing anything, I think this is a point that Andy was trying to get to was the the cost of customizing is always one of the most expensive you can get out there. Um, If everyone could get away with a generic car, everyone in the world would be driving a Yugo. Um, Problem is, is that, yes, it got you from point A to point B. It wasn't very comfortable. It wasn't very affordable when you start figuring in maintenance costs and things like that. But it was, it solved that basic need. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's looking at saying, you know what, I want to have an additional function or additional capability added in there. And I know in order to get that, I need to be able to purchase it as a bundle.
1: Yeah. So, what airplane does Southwest Airlines use?
2: They all use 737.
1: They all use 737s, right? They do that for a very specific reason, you know? it's it's just it's just simple no customization we'll just make it generic we know the cost of managing a fleet of airline airplanes when it's all the same model is insanely cheap now does it work for every airline no you know you're not going to find southwest flying to tokyo or certain long distance destinations right but for a domestic carrier it makes a whole lot of sense you can get anywhere in the u.s on a 737
2: and and you have one type of pilot with one type of certification needed. You have one type of maintenance guys that have to have one supply chain of parts and pieces, and they can swap out those, those parts and pieces anytime.
0: And, and I'll use that to tie into those Integra data centers that we built out. We've got Nutanix, got a whole team of guys that have learned Nutanix, H V, AOS, Citrix integration with that. And it makes it a kind of scale for us just to host customers that buy into that platform with us, a no-brainer, even if it means we you know put the put the solution in their data center or in the public cloud or in our data center. Yeah.
1: Yep. So this next section, section, by the way, so before we skip through, we're talking about cloud economics, but they drop a word in that previous section, Andy, how to use the cloud elasticity to your advantage, right? So at the end of the day, what um actually I, I might have skipped ahead. Either way, did ahead. I did. I, I got too excited. <laughs> so I'll pause that one. We'll get we'll get the elasticity later, but continue th- your thought. Okay, let me
0: let me highlight on that little slow. Let's see. Was that in the, the intro, or you got me confused now? Is that in the second section or the first section?
1: It's in it's in the third section, uh okay.
0: or, or the or the fourth. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'll drop a nugget now for that one. Look and. Daz, it's got to be a really important use case if you do anything other than multi-section in Azure, because that's where the economies of scale seem to start kicking in around X number of users. Somebody needs to define X based on use case. But okay, um, all right. The second section: the definition of cloud economics. Um, Todd, you want to handle that?
2: Yeah. So I think I think IT and and business folks are are really kind of still facing the same problem, and that's the, the problem is, Historically, you've always built out data centers as a facility. Um, it's a it's a long term investment by the business or by the organization uh, to to you know build out the physical data center, fill it up with all kinds of equipment, uh, services that go into it, and those are oftentimes amortized over a long period of time twenty plus years in some cases. Um, The problem is, is the economics of a subscription service now are have have kind of thrown a monkey wrench into it, right? So the cloud, you talk about being able to swap in and swap out resources. Well, if you're paying for those resources over 20 years, you're not gonna be able to see that return on that investment very quickly. Um, So there has to be a shift in the way we think about the economics of the cloud um, and being able to break it down into You know, in some cases, the economics can change on a week-to-week or a month-to-month basis, and in some cases, some of these commodity items, the prices change on a daily basis. Some of it's based on usage. Some of it's based on availability of resources. Um, Some of it, you know, this this capability of being able to burst things out. Those are all fairly new concepts to a traditional brick-and-mortar type of environment. Um so the, the economics and the, the economic principles behind the cloud have changed considerably.
0: So Todd, before we go into the economics of it, which is 100 percent what we're gonna talk about, let me ask you, let me hit both of you guys with this one simple question. True or false? Is the technology you've used to implement and build out your own data center technically out of date the day you go live? Or it's not the latest. How about that?
1: It's definitely not the latest. Yeah.
0: Because yeah, you had to design this thing 12 24 months in advance yeah. based on what was available then by the time you you know, by the time you open the door the first time to really use it that stuff's 12 months old. Yep. And,
1: and, so, and sometimes um from a technology perspective sometimes I choose not to buy something because I'm going to wait for the next thing to come out and then I'll buy it, right? So I've yeah. held off buying um networking gear before, I've held off buying server models before simply because I knew the new version was coming out in six months, and I, I didn't want to get left behind.
0: <laughs> well, throw the cost of this into it; you can't even get the stuff these days in a lot of cases. Yeah.
1: That was back when I could, it was really easy to get to. I could put an order in and have someone ship that to my uh, my data center pretty quick. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Not
0: only that, but you could go into five vendors and quote it and get a, get the best price. Now you're lucky if one of them
1: can get it. Yeah.
2: All right. Oh, so that's it. those are the and reasons. And then there's also there's also the history of of what we've run into is the dot zero. Release right. So if you buy something and it's the first one off the assembly line, uh, you may want to hold off until they get a couple of hundred units shipped, right? Um, and th- that that ki- that was something that was hardware, then switched over to software industry as well. So um, you know, being able to understand that that part of you know the the history sometimes makes builds behaviors. And that's one of the things that we're we're fighting here is we're 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 trying to change people's behaviors and in some cases, make them forget some of the history pieces of it.
1: I got a fun question. This is a little bit of a rat hole, but do you guys ever remember burning servers in where you'd, you'd spin it up and let it run for a day or two? When's the last time yep. you burn in a cloud instance? <laughs> no. Just not something we yeah, think through, right?
0: You turn it on and it's red, right? Uh-huh. There you and go. i, I think and it
1: the kind of car and
0: I, I want to you know, let it go, anything new, right car. I, I do that with my yeah. laptop. I still have this theory that I need to let it run for a couple of days.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but I think going back to one of the, one of the comments that you made, Andy, um, a couple of minutes ago was, you know, the reason why you could turn on a service and start using it immediately is because Andy has already done the burn-in, Zintegra has already done the burn-in. They've got the skill set to build it the right way, and maintain it the right way so that, you know, you're know, you picking up, uh, I don't want to say used car, but it's already gone through that burn-in program, that burn-in period, right? So it's ready to use when when the end user needs to have access to it.
0: And for whatever reason, we had a whole series of uh, Nutanix nodes, not Nutanix, it actually came from another manufacturer of Nutanix software on it, where we had a bunch of failures right out of the gate. I won't say the manufacturer's name, it wasn't Nutanix. Um, um, but yeah, we, we saw that happen and, the burn-in was the reason why we found it. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, this next section here, why calculating TCO is more complicated in the cloud. and cloud computing, uh, in theory, it's supposed to be easier. Um, Jeremy, why are they saying it's more complicated?
1: um i mean it, it's it's sort of a basic equation you know when you buy hardware that costs a certain amount when you buy software that costs a certain amount there's this idea of sunk costs like you know upfront how much it's going to cost because you're paying for it now in theory the idea is that could be more expensive than a pay-as-you-go model right so if i can as opposed to paying for things up front uh, could pay as i leverage it um in theory could be easier right the challenge is you've got to be able to figure out how to calculate that. You got to keep an eye on it. You'd be able to. It's the sort of thing where you need to have a constant feedback loop on how much you're spending, so that you can adjust accordingly. You know, you can't treat a cloud I as you know. So to your point earlier, I'll get very specific. The way you treated your data center on prem, because if you do, the cloud is definitely much more expensive. But you know, calculating that is is a whole lot harder. Like it's hard to predict how much you're going to use. So you constantly have to, it's a feedback loop. You now how much did I use? Was that enough? Was that too little? Let's let's adjust, right? As opposed to, like we just talked about with a stack of servers, i just plug them in and turn them on. And I don't think about it for three years. So it's time to refresh. Yeah.
0: So maybe the calculating can be harder and in, in theory you could associate with it, but you don't predict, I guess maybe is. But it's, it's really realistic. hard to
1: predict. It's very hard to predict. Otherwise, Andy, would folks be going to the cloud? <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, I think in some cases they would. Here's here's my statement on this. I think there's so many CIOs out there that have bought into cloud, and I think it's partially for their own benefit of building out their own career. That yes, they would no matter what. Um, it's just like you know, you would you and I. I don't know about Todd, but you and I live in a place where housing prices are have gone through the roof in the last 12 months and 24 months. And people would say, well, you'd be an idiot to go buy one of these, but yet people are coming and buying no matter what.
2: Oh, yep, yeah. Uh, by the way, I live in a, a very Expensive housing market as well, so uh, yeah. Um, when when they claim a sixty four hundred dollar a month rent or or yes. mortgage payment is affordable housing, that's that's a problem.
1: Yeah, is that your is that your neighborhood, Todd? I don't.
2: You're uh, it, it's it's actually it's actually in the, the the student population area around Boston University that they're building they're building housing that is considered affordable for sixty four hundred dollars a month.
0: I can't even contemplate that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So well, here's a little sidetrack there. Real quick. So yes, I can more easily calculate it, but don't we have the normal thing that has to happen, which is a very IT guy type thing, which is you way over by when you do your own. Yeah.
2: Well, and that's one that's one of the things that we're that we're faced with, right? And I think this is gonna be where we can tie it into the workflow conversation that we started off with, because you would think that. As you're moving to the cloud, or as you're moving into embrace this platform as a service or infrastructure as a service, one of those workflows that has to be run on a regular basis, whether it be monthly or weekly, is your cost calculation, right? Because that's going to give you what what your reality is and what you're actually paying for, as opposed to what your what you thought to. Calculation was going to be what you thought the total cost of ownership was going to be when you made your initial decision, initial investment. You've got to be able to come back on a regular basis and say, look, you know, we are saving money or we're we're going over. We need to find another resource that we can put in here um, to replace this much more cost or costly uh resource that we're consuming currently, right? So maybe that's an opportunity to, to leverage some of those workflows and to also, you know. The, the, the economics of it is it's got – because you are on a subscription and you're paying on a regular basis, you pay as you go. You have to be mindful of what your costs are as you're going along that path, as you're going along the journey.
0: So, Todd, as you said that, it made me think of something. What if I say this? If we get to a world where it's all SaaS, software as a service, And it's all and it's all all SaaS and PaaS. It's one or the other, which to me, like you know, Salesforce is a PaaS that has built-in SaaS that other companies can write SaaS that aligns with. Does Mm -hmm. this whole conversation where we're out of DAS and IaaS and you know the cost of running machines pretty much just go away?
2: I I think you're still gonna have a sunk set of costs, right? You're gonna have a, a basic subscription cost, and then there's going to be pay as you go services that may get bolted onto there. Now, how much of a percentage of your monthly cost is going to be actually that that baseline? That's going to be the thing that's going to be unique to the customer, unique to um, the individual situation, right? Um, because that's something that, that nobody can really control. It's like the, you know, you, you buy a gym membership and you have the baseline and then they add on, hey, you stop at the juice bar, there's going to be some additional cost for that or you enter into a a workout of the day challenge, where you're going to have to do a, uh, you have to you have to pay a little extra to to do that, or you have to, even though you, you know, it's a it's part of your uh, additional services that you add on top of there, but there's going to be a baseline subscription cost.
1: So when you think about that, Todd, so um, how does a company like Azure solve that for customers? Well, they have this whole concept of reserved instances, right? So if yeah. I can you know, have a sunk cost in the terms of I get a super discount if I commit to a certain amount of, you know, capacity for three years, right? So there is my quote unquote sunk cost. And then I have some piece of this that is variable because I just don't know exactly how much it's going to cost, right? Yeah. So, you know, I can help manage cost that way. I think a lot of customers aren't entirely sure. They, they don't think through reserved instances, but that's a very big deal. It's one way to, you know, outside of auto scaling that we talk about a lot, which is, a ba- you know, able to you know, your elasticity, you know, up and down based on usage, there's going to be some base level of usage that you can actually reduce the spend on. So that's important to understand.
2: Yeah. And I think that's a really great kind of uh, transition point here um, because that elasticity, that, that that ability to auto scale and the ability to, to kind of have that pay-as-you-go component that's what's going to allow you to go with the ebbs and flows of your business cycles, right? Um, There's very few industries out there that have the same number of workflows every single day, or the same volume of work happens on a daily basis. Um, You know, we see it in healthcare, we see it in education, we see it in financial services, there's some rhythm of the business that has to occur. Um, You know, healthcare, most you know historically the the peak of every single healthcare customer that we had was Tuesdays because that was just the flow of patients there was more patients being seen on a Tuesday than any other day of the week and there's there's reasons behind that it's people don't want to go on a Monday they feel they they feel bad on a, on a Monday but they feel really bad much worse on a Tuesday so that's when they go to the doctor that's when they go to the hospital um there's the flow of the business when it comes to whether you're talking about retail right you have you have peak seasons in retail you have peak seasons for hospitality there's this flow of the business and if you if you took it and built out for that high point of the year that high point of the year may only last you know a couple of weeks why do i over architect well historically we always put over architect there's an entire architecture framework out there the n plus 1 that took out the elasticity, right? You are basically overbuilding and over-architecting a solution to where you're building it towards your worst case scenario. And the problem is the economics of that really kind of drives it down to reduce the cost. Well, if if I've architected it for an N plus one scenario and my my baseline or my average is N divided by two, where I'm 50% capacity. I'm, I'm overpaying, so I need to find a way to reduce that cost. And elasticity gives us that
1: ability. So, so Todd, I would argue with you that you're not overbuying when you're thinking about the worst-case scenario. That just is what it is. You have to plan yeah. for your peak usage. That's just how the economics of, of yeah. on-prem work, at least if you want to have a good solution, right? So yeah. that is your normal, and the hope is the plan. And I guess the promise of cloud is you can buy just as much as you need at any given point in time. That's the goal. Yeah.
0: But think about well, this at the micro level. You you buy, uh, what, in in plus one, let's say a set of just hard drives. Uh, you know, RAID 5 or whatever it was, yep. the mirror mm-hmm. of that RAID 5. Or maybe it's a RAID 0 with, uh, with a, a, a mirror of that RAID array. Mm-hmm. And, and then you multiply that time however many times you got to multiply it. Next thing you know, you got something that yeah you know exactly what it costs but wow you, did you did you need all that
1: yeah it's like buying insurance at that point right and those are
2: some very uncomfortable conversations to have with your cio who's who's your boss is hey we overspent because we never wanted to have the cio get a phone call saying we're out of capacity i can't i can't log in because they're not going to call the it help desk folks when they can't log in you know the 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 VP-level folks are going to call the CIO directly. Is
0: that the CIO that currently exists or the one that got fired because he overblew his budget?
2: Uh, it could have been both.
0: <laughs> you got my joke there. I do <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, last last section here is called "Cost: uh, Choose the Right DAS Provider to Drive IT Cost Efficiency." Are they? Are we talking about the the pass side of it or the IaaS hosting of the desktop machines? What are we talking about in this section? Are we talking about a full on DAS where it's just totally one thing you just subscribe to and pay for? It? We're kind of
2: talking about both of them, right? So it could be a full on full on DaaS solution. Um, but it could also be, you know, if I'm just coming up with an infrastructure solution, um, that may be something I want to, I want to look into, um, and, and look at it within that lens, or I can look at it from the, from the overall platform. You know, if I'm using something like Salesforce as a platform, I need to factor in some of the other components that go into that, right? whether it's the, whether it's the desktop as a service that's providing me with, with a full-blown desktop to access that platform as a service, so I I can only access Salesforce from a virtual desktop, um, or if I'm looking at it from a pure, uh, purely infrastructure perspective, saying, you know what, all I need to have is a, a safe place to go to access Salesforce out there, or, or I'm only going to use it for my for my components that I'm holding the data for. I'm providing my own Link into Salesforce that comes from my internal data center um, there's a variety of different ways to look at, it. but understanding of that the the principles behind the economics is is gonna be critical for for people as they're making more and more decisions around this
1: so Andy and I we talk about this all the time where we try to sort through um you know where does something like an a v d solution versus like Windows 365 Cloud PC, you know, one is primarily a license, and you're managing your own elasticity to manage consumption costs versus something like a Cloud PC slash Windows 365, which is per unit more expensive, but it's a it's a predictable sunk cost, right? So, do you give all of one to everyone, or do you mix it up? I think this is where you you got to understand the right solution, right? And I think. You know that's kind of the spirit of the question here, which is you got to understand the cost model of whatever provider you're using and how that plays into kind of what your business objective is. Listen, if you're if your business objective is virtual desktop or dedicated virtual desktops to everyone in the organization, maybe your DAS solution in, involves putting all the workloads on prem because now your solution just maybe got cheaper than doing that in the cloud. Dedicated VDI is the most expensive solution you can run in the cloud, but you got to understand what your business objectives are versus, you know, what the DAS provider can give you.
0: Yep. And guys, what I love about this conversation is because of what we're doing here at Zintegra, every way you look at it, paths, staff, DAS, IaaS, uh, PC in the cloud, PC in the cloud in our data center, PC in the cloud in your data center, Zintegra is effectively and efficiently and, and succinctly and focused on being able to answer yes to all those questions for our customers. Um, and then the, the thing i factor in too, if you're going to do DAS from, say, like a, a publicly traded company, how well do you trust that company and how much influence do you have on, you know, what they're going to do next quarter based on earnings resorts this quarter. You so that it. Yeah. But that's how we see the world. Huh? We, we see the opportunity to serve our meet our customers where their need is, not where we think mm-hmm. they, Going because it best benefits us. Yep. Yep. Todd, any uh, closing remarks?
2: I, I, I think the, <clears throat> sorry, the economics uh, of cloud need to be a little bit more simpler. So you don't need a PhD in quantum mechanics or quantum math to uh, to start figuring it out. But at the same time, it's, you know, the the cost structures are getting a little bit more reasonable. Um, but once again, this is where, this is where partners like yourselves, uh, really come into play, right? Help, help a customer figure this stuff out and, and be able to be more, understand the economics behind it, because the economics are only part of the equation. The experience is the other part, and yeah. you've got to have them both in, in balance.
0: Yeah. I um, One other thing in that is no matter what direction you go, leave yourself options to go the other direction and evaluate it very so Absolutely. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. close. Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the questions that uh, I've been in this industry for <laughs> 25 years now. Um, and, you know, this is not something as an IT professional that I've ne- necessarily had to think about in the past, right? Is this a skill set that your average, you know, IT professional is going to have to start to learn about and be good at, Andy, going forward? Now, I was so focused on technology in the past. Now I'm going to have to think about these things, at least I think.
0: You know, I, I think you're. I think I've got a 21 year old son, right? He's growing up in PaaS and SaaS world, and I think he's not going to have to figure that. We're, we're we 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 have never figured it out with the people on this call, and I don't think anybody's going to necessarily figure it out. It, it in theory becomes easier to figure out, or at least tied to whether you can control it or not. Another topic we've talked about here, uh, but I do think, like, like I mentioned a while ago, as it goes SaaS and PaaS, mm-hmm. this becomes less and less of a calculation. Um, it's hard to figure out less of an equation and more of a direct formula.
1: Yeah. I would agree. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, guys, I appreciate you jumping on having this conversation. Hopefully people find a lot of value in it. I, I know it's, uh, I I feel like it was a therapy session.
1: (laughs) It's funny how we, I know you and Andy, and, uh, we've talked about this literally for five years. We go back and forth. (laughs) It's, It's a topic that has never stopped. I'll just say that.
0: And I would go back to one of the comments I made a while ago. Step one is just getting a handle on what your current costs are on your physical PC world. And I've got two out of what seems to be 10,000 clients at this point that Mm -hmm. I've interacted with that even thought they knew. One of them had a good number. One of them was a a BS number. But I say this in front of people every week, and they look at me like, well, that's a good idea. I'm like, of course it is. Let's do that. And they never do
1: Yeah, it's hard is what it is.
0: All right, guys. I appreciate the time. It's awesome. All right. Thanks. All right. See you guys.